And Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not extra tunics. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Prayer. Father, we come to you now and we ask you to give us ears to hear. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds to know and hear from you, to believe that you speak to us through your word. And so now we ask for you to help our hearts and minds to know and understand you as we study your word together. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our next story set, we come to Jesus sending out of the twelve. And what I want to focus on as we come to the scriptures today is that we're going to see Jesus' ministry enter a new phase. And specifically, we're going to see the, the disciples' apprentice journey enter into a new phase. And the overall question I want us to be thinking through as we work through this, this scripture this morning is what can we learn about or, or from Jesus about making reproducing disciples? What can we learn from Jesus about making reproducing disciples? And the little outline that we're going to follow this morning, if you look at verses 6 and 7, we're going to look at uh, five things this morning. Verses 6 and 7, we're going to see three C's uh, in this passage. We're going to look at the disciples' calling. We're going to look at this interesting aspect of companionship, this two-by-two two sitting out. And we're going to look at a, a critical characteristic that needs to be a part of this disciples' ministry, that needed to be a part of them being sent out. Verses 8 and 10, we're going to take a look at uh, this idea of provision. Jesus gives some interesting instructions about sandals and tunics and staffs. Uh, and we're going to take a look at the provision. Verse 11, I want to talk just a few words about rejection, which we need to know uh, or we've seen already modeled in Jesus' ministry. But we're going to see just a few words about rejection to his disciples. Verses 12 and 13, we're going to talk about imitation and replication. And lastly, in verses 31, or 30 and 31, if you notice we didn't read these, Mark kind of wrote this account uh, as almost a sandwich. Uh, Mark does this uh, quite often. Uh, he gives us the, the beginning of the story. In between is the uh, story of John the Baptist losing his life, and then he comes back around. And we're going to talk about the ministry pattern of the disciples. We're going to uh, look at that at the end. So five things we're going to study in the scriptures today. Let's begin with just verses 6 and 7. Look for these three C's, calling, companionship, characteristics. So going back to verse 6 and 7, Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Let's look at this calling. Now, if you've been with us the entire journey of Mark, you'll notice that we've, we've had a few references to calling already. And you're going to see that uh, there's this journey.
journey of apprenticeship. But the first text where we see a specific uh, invitation to a calling is Mark 1, 16 through 20. And you remember this story. It says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting in net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. This is the first reference we get to, the very clear point of why did Jesus invite people to follow him? And Jesus makes very clear in his initial invitation that his desire was to make them into fishers of men. And Mark 3, 13 to 15, is the, the next real clear uh, clarification of the calling. And this is when Jesus is going to call the 12 to him and actually call them apostles. In verse 13 it says, And he went up on the mountains and called them uh, called to himself those who he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he would also name apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. So in Mark 3, we see very clearly, Jesus had an intention, uh, there was an intentionality of why he was called. First, there's an invitation, a general invitation, follow me, I'll teach you to be fishers of men. We follow it up with Jesus inviting the twelve to the mountaintop with him, and he's going to call them apostles. And he's going to tell them that he's going to send them out to preach and have the authority to cast out demons. And it's in this passage, in Mark chapter 6, where we finally see that happening. And what you can see is that the calling to Jesus is, is an intentional process. It's a journey, and it's an apprenticeship. Is that there's a process of learning to do what Jesus does. There's an invitation, come, come and be with me. Come, come in and learn from me. But there's a very clear process, there's a very clear journey of Jesus investing himself into reproducing himself, into inviting his disciples to do what he does. And this is the first time we see in the Gospels, specifically the Gospel of Mark, of this taking place. Now, the word here in uh, verse 7, most of the English versions are just going to say he began to send them out. Uh, I won't often refer to the Greek, but just so you know, this word send is apostello, and it has, uh, so it, you might immediately see how it equates to the word apostle. So the, the noun apostle comes from this word, this idea of send. In the English, you just hear send. But what Jesus was specifically doing, and this is a different word, so we would just say send or go. But when the, the text says apostolos, or, uh, what it's specifically referring to is this is an authorized agent with an authorized mission. It's a different word than what we would normally translate just send. So you need to know this. And that's why uh, this is specifically getting to calling. That Jesus was inviting people to be participants and not to be followers. And I would say one of the... Thank you! You know what? I don't know your name, but I heard you praising in worship. Can you tell me your name? Mark. Mark, that is... I, I am truly, this isn't going to be funny, I am truly blessed to see you so enthusiastic. In our worship, uh, and in, I, when I grew up, there was Joel Reidenbaker. Joel Reidenbaker always let me know when we were praising, uh, when we were praying, and uh, it is good to have you here with us, Mark, and I hope that's not meant to embarrass, that's really to affirm. Uh, it is true, Jesus called us not to be simply learners. So Jesus didn't call his disciples, and this is where I would say most of us get stuck, is that we believe in Jesus, but then, and then the result or the fruit of what we uh, 
we begin to understand Christianity is, is that I, I believe and, and I come on Sunday. And Jesus has actually called us to be participants. But there's a process. And Jesus has been investing in his disciples over and over and over again. And I want you to see and understand that Jesus' calling was clear. Become fishers of men. I want to send you out to preach. I want to give you my authority. And all along, this, this idea of being an apostle or one who's called to Jesus and who, who is now his official representative sent back into the world. Now, the second thing I want to talk about in this uh, verse 6 and 7 is companionship. And I don't want you to miss this because you could probably just read and he sent them out kind of two by two. But why two by two? Let me give you two reasons. The, the first, if you know your Old Testament, was that in the Old Testament it made clear that uh, when you were to be a witness, you, you were to take a testimony on the, the, the basis of two witnesses. There was, there was never just an individual witness. And so there's, there's a part of Jesus sending them out two by two, which was uh, building on what they would expect that there would be a, a confirmation, there would be a witness uh, of, of two people coming together and being a witness of this kingdom. That they would be preaching. The second thing is it's, it's going to be they would stand together as a witness for those who rejected the message. That they stood together and, and they would share, and as we'll see, they shake the dust off their feet, that to reject this message, we are standing and giving witness against you that you will reject the salvation. You yourself. Now, that's part of why Jesus sent them two by two. But if you just think about this from a, a kingdom mathematics perspective, 12 disciples sent to 12 cities reaches more than six. From a, a purely mathematical perspective, send the 12 to 12 individual cities and you will reach more. But the reality is, there is a kingdom mathematics that functions differently, where Jesus always invites us to do things together. And so, if we were using our worldly mathematics, we would say 12 is greater than 6. If we were to apply what I think Jesus is inviting us to know and understand, which is a kingdom mathematics, 6 is greater than 12. 16 is greater than 12 individuals. 16 is working together, going together, working together. When, when one is down, the other is there to, to help and encourage. When one is, is a little bit too high, the other one is there to kind of bring him back down. Like, hey, we shouldn't expect that in every city, man. When you have diversity of gifts, where you, you, you just function differently. But the reality is, I think one of the things we should see in this text is, together is better. Now, I always heard this say that it's, uh, you know, usually from a father to a son, or, uh, you know, if anything is worth doing, it's worth doing well. I don't know if you, you have come across that. So if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Let me just change that. If anything is worth doing, it's worth doing together. One of the things that we need to recognize is that because God has not called us to be independent Christians who are running out our, our, our faith alone and who are trying to minister, to be ministers of the gospel alone, I would say, look to Jesus' example of wanting to encourage interdependence and not independence, when it, specifically when it comes to ministry. One of the things uh, we, we recognize, there are times where we run well, and then there's times we fall flat on our face and we hide it from everybody else and we're sitting in a hole 
and nobody else knows because why? We never ran to somebody else. And now that we're not doing well, we don't have the ability to share honestly where we're at because nobody was involved in our life. So, kingdom mathematics, 6 is greater than 12. And by the way, we see this all throughout. I mean, look at creation. Uh, you have, uh, this is more than two, but you have God as Trinity. You have God make the animals, and the animals were two by two. You have God, uh, have Adam recognize everybody else has a, a partner but me, and then God makes Eve. Uh, when we talk about how God has put the family together, right, you, literally, we, we can't create family without each other. Like, so you can't just say, I want to be a family. I, as an individual, want to create a family. I know our world makes it possible, but the reality is, the biology of it is, God has created us, and family only happens when you come together in interdependence. When, when we see the first missionary team sent out of Acts, they're sent together. All in Barnabas go together. Even when they split up, they split up in teams. And so we see this pattern again and again. And what I would encourage us is, if you don't have somebody to your right or your left, you're running alone. And you can't do it. You can't run the race alone. And neither can we really uh, accomplish the gospel mission alone. The gospel isn't all of us just in our own little world only reaching who we can, although that should be a part of it. The gospel mission is all of us working together who want to see the kingdom expand. There's a both end. Now, characteristics. Let's move to our last C, and I would just say, want to point out that I think it's a really important characteristic that we see here, and that is that they were called to have Jesus' authority. Now, our mind immediately goes right to the fact that it's authority to cast out demons. It's also authority to heal. But one of the things I want to point out, and this is specifically speaking to disciples and disciples' signs, that having or, or, or being sent out as representatives from Jesus you have to have something to be able to say what makes you authentic. Uh, so we live in a world today, have you ever seen like websites that will say the official website of so-and-so? Or if there's a product that's very popular, uh, whether it's, it's expensive purses or cool shoes, we know there's always counterfeits. We know there's counterfeits with money, right? And so uh, one of the things that you're trained to do is if you handle money, you have to be able to be, be trained to recognize a counterfeit, right? And so. Uh, every government has ways of putting little things in money. You shine the, the blue light in the right way on this corner and you see the right things. You have ways of recognizing counterfeits. You need to understand that for Jesus hearers, especially the Jewish community, they were taught to look for authenticators. And the authenticators were that they had the very power of God. That a, a prophet of God or a man of God, somebody who had was actually to be on the mission of God had the authentication of God. And so Jesus is going to send them out with his authority. And the authority that they would have, they would have the same exact ability as Jesus, the authority that Jesus had to do what Jesus did. Now that authority came from the Father. The Father is the one who sent Jesus on his mission. And the Father is the one who gives Jesus all authority. And Jesus, in turn, passes on that authority to us. Jesus says, all authority has been uh, to his disciples in this case. So I want you to just see that characteristic of authority. Now to give you a text, John 10, 37, 38 really makes this clear in a way that I think is helpful. Jesus says, do not believe me unless I do the works of the Father. So you see that qualification? Jesus says, listen, 
I am just somebody with a message if I'm not doing the works of the Father. He says, do not believe me unless I do the works of the Father. But verse 38 says, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand. The Father is in me and I am in the Father. So what are the works? The works authenticate the messenger. And they authenticate his, his, uh, his message. And so Jesus' disciples were giving his authority, and the authority, the ability to cast out demons and to heal the sick, yes, on, on one level, it was able to, to heal people who desperately needed to be healed. But there's another level that is functioning here, and that is, if you are the representative of Jesus, how do we know? The authenticating, or the authenticating factor was that they had the same power as Otherwise, these were just two guys visiting random villages who were saying the same message, but it had not the backing of Jesus. Now, let's move forward. Those are the three C's. We looked at the calling, we looked at companionship, we looked at the all-important characteristics of having Jesus' own authority. I want to take a look at this provision. This is verses 8 to 10. It says, these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money, or in your belt. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Now, all of these things, as you can see, are all about the provision for the journey. If you're a modern-day reader and it doesn't quite make sense, obviously a walking staff was very similar to the staff that a shepherd would use. Uh, we see this in modern days. When you're hiking, having a staff. It served many purposes, but this was... Uh, a multi-purpose tool that they would just use. He says, fine. Uh, that's what a walking staff is. The bread is, is just straightforward. This would be taking extra food measures for, uh, for your own provision. The bag, we're not quite sure. It could be something as simple as like a knapsack, where, you know, like a cloth, uh, where you lay it down, put your goods in it, tie it together. Extra provisions. Uh, some commentaries that I read said it may have been almost like, uh, because this was the norm for traveling preachers is that they would have uh, a bag that when they were teaching that people could put the, their donations in. Uh, you see this, uh, today it's mostly begging, but for them it wasn't begging. This was how they earned. It was normal and, and completely accepted that teachers would travel and they depended on the generosity of their hearers to give. So it could have been a bag like that. Uh, but what we're told is not to take that bag, not to take the bread told to take no money. So besides no food, besides no bag to receive alms, they were to take no money in their belt. Don't take any extra funds that you might use to purchase those things. Right? So it's one thing to say, don't take them. Well, I'll just take extra money. I'll buy them when I get there. Right? So Jesus says, no, don't even take money. And the two tunics uh, that it says, the tunic, the best way to think about this is just the, the outer coat. They, they had the, the clothes that they wore, but they also at times take a second tunic, something that they carried on the outside, and it doubled as a blanket for when you had to rest and when you had to sleep. Uh, you don't have the, the ability to, to know that, hey, I can just go to the next hotel. You, you receive the hospitality, or they were taught to receive the hospitality, but a lot of times they didn't have six extra blankets to give to somebody like you do today. And so you carried your extra tunic. And Jesus says, yes, you can take a, a tunic. All right, now, what I want to see here is simply this. If I were to summarize, I would say travel light and trust God is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Travel light 
dropped off. So if I were, yeah, if, if I were to, instead of taking out of the staff and the money belt and everything else, put it in modern day English terms, travel away, trust God. This is one of those flights where you're taking like, oh, it doesn't come with a big suitcase. Yeah, you got to just carry, you got to do your carry-on. Everything goes in the carry-on. Uh, that's the kind of flight this is. And the reason for this is Jesus is trying to communicate. Remember in, in Matthew, I think it's chapter 7, it's 5 to 7, it's, it's the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, hey, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Doesn't God know even, like, provide for the sparrows? Not one falls to the ground. If you want to minister with Jesus, then you, you have to understand, you can't be worried about taking care of yourself and, and, and be focused on your needs and be focused on the ministry. Jesus actually takes that one off. Because this is the reality. Here's how you and I are put together. It's great. We're called to mission. We're called to ministry. But one of the things that always distracts us is the physical, is the immediate, is my provision. Where will I sleep? What will I do? How will I put food in my mouth? The beauty of what Jesus invites is that you put it all on me. You just go. And I will take care of the food. I will take care of the provision. I will take care of the house. There is an amazing freedom of following Jesus, where Jesus says, listen, if you're going to respond and, and, and follow me in ministry, and if, and, and if you're going to respond, then I'm, I'm telling you, I'm sending you out, then you trust me for the provision. You, you let me worry about it. You don't spend a minute. You don't spend any of your thoughts. You don't go get there and be so worried and think, How, you know, I mean, we haven't even, should we start preaching? We haven't even found that. Uh, I, mean, I mean, maybe we should go to a market because, I mean, I don't know when those things close, but when it closes, we ain't getting no food. Uh, those are the kind of things that distract us. And Jesus takes all of them off, and he just basically says, travel light and trust me. There's an amazing quote from Hudson Taylor, a missionary, and I love this. And you may have heard this in part, but let me read you the full. He says this, depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. He is too wise a God to frustrate his own plans for lack of funds. And he can just as easily supply them ahead of time as he can afterwards. And he much prefers doing so. So God often invites us not to travel with all the resources provided up front. I mean, Jesus, do you think Jesus could be like, hey, God, I bought all your supplies. Here you go. Boom. <laughs> no, just, just enjoy it. I went ahead. I bought your food. I bought everything. And every town, I have sent an angel. And your, your house is already prepared. Jesus does it the opposite way. He invites them to go and just find out. That's the joy of the journey. Can you imagine how boring Christianity would be? If God just, you know, oh, you have faith? That's great. I will tell you every detail the rest of your life so you know what a faithful God I am. I provide all the time. And here's exactly when I'll do it. And here's how I'll do it. And here's the name of the person you haven't even met who I'll do it through. God could do that, but he doesn't, and he invites us to simply enjoy the journey of faith, of trusting him to provide. A word about provision. Now, let's give you the next verse, verse 11. We talked about a word about rejection. We're going to be really short here. Word about rejection, and I'll just say three things. Expect it, speak the truth about it, move on. Expect it, speak the truth about it, move on. Expect it. Guys, Jesus was rejected over and over. And so he already tells in verse 11, if any place will not welcome you, we probably should have, we could have said, when a place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Let me just explain those three things. Expect it, like I said, Jesus, our last passage, was just rejected in his hometown. 
And so Jesus tells them, there are going to be people who reject. Speak the truth about it. And this is kind of it gets the, the shaking the dust off your, your feet. If you're, this is strange and you want this explained, this is quite simple. It had become a practice that when uh, the Jews would travel and they would go through Gentile land, it became a practice that when they would cross the line, and here's the boundary to coming back into Jewish territory, they would literally stop, take off their sandals, shake off the dust from Gentile areas, areas that were not a part of uh, what they understood to be God's covenant, and they would now come back into their, the territory that they believed was uh, covenanted with God. It was almost like a visible symbol of saying there is a clear divide. Those in covenant, those in relationship with God, and those who are not. Now, Jesus, in a sense, allows this picture, which was already happening in their minds, they knew of this, uh, of, of this habit uh, of teachers who would do this, and he uses it and says, listen, if anybody rejects you in that town, not in Gentile areas, but in the very areas where they are Jewish, that should be accepting the message, when they refuse the message, as a symbol to them, because they will understand what this means, Right, so Jesus is not saying use this because, oh, this will show them. They reject you, we'll embarrass them from everybody else. Take off the table, boys. He is telling them because they already understand this to be a symbol of rejection. And Jesus says, when they reject the message of salvation, you take off your sandals and you, you shake off the dust. Because what it's saying is, you yourself have chosen to remain outside of God's salvation. You yourself have rejected his kingdom. And so they were to shake the dust off their feet. That's what speaking the truth about it is. Uh, that, that second point is that they were visibly to show that you have rejected. And by the way, I don't know when, when you guys have an opportunity to share, but one of the things that we need to make clear is that there isn't this just neutral place to, to, for us to share clearly God's plan of salvation People need to understand, well, there's not this neutral thing where I'm, let's just be friends. You're good, I'm good, we're all good, uh, everyone's good, and if you have a good plan, you'll, you'll probably end up in heaven. You know, uh, basically, what Jesus is saying is there is no neutrality. If somebody rejects the gospel, you need to kindly and lovingly show them. And you think, well, I don't know, shaking the dust off your sandals in a kind, loving way. What I'm, Jesus took a, a visible symbol they knew to be a symbol of rejection. And he said, use that to help them understand. You have just rejected salvation. We have a saying in, uh, in English, washing your hands of the situation. It's when, hey, I've done my best, but if, if you are going to continue, that I will wash my hands. It's actually what Pilate did with Jesus, right? He washed his hands. We, uh, another way of saying this in the Old Testament is your blood be on your own head. I've told you the truth. I've, I've told you the, the reality of salvation. And if you reject it, you're accepting the consequences yourself. Uh, if you want to think about it in a modern-day way, we have waivers we sign all the time, right, when you have risk. Uh, when there's significant risk, you're like, okay, you could get hurt. But if you do, we told you, you could. You can't come back and sue us. Uh, so we understand this, this reality of you have to have a hard conversation. And Jesus says you can't be neutral. Expect rejection. Speak the truth about it. Move on. And, and I think that's one, one thing that we often get discouraged. We get discouraged and take it personally when people reject. Jesus says, accept it. Speak the truth about it. Move on. We're moving on. Verses 12 and 13. Imitation and replication. Verse 12 
12, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with, with oil and healed them. Okay, now, in this last section, I've been telling you uh, when we looked, there was a calling. First, there was a calling that will uh, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I will teach you to fish for men, right? And then we see that there's still a journey. There's still a Jesus, and they're still learning. We see that he calls the apostles and tells them, I want to send you out, but it still doesn't happen. And then finally it happens. And so we just want to zoom in on verses 12 and 13 and say, okay, so what did they do? Not they're finally part of the mission. What did they do? Imitation and replication. This is what they did. The beauty of following Jesus is they simply imitated the words of Jesus. Look at verse 12. They went out and preached that people should repent. Now, there's a lot in there that Mark doesn't explain, but I will just simply point you to. Mark 1, 4, it says John, John the Baptist, appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is John's message. That's the summary. So what did John preach? He preached, preached repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark 1, 14 to 15, this was Jesus uh, proclaiming the kingdom. Because now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The gospel, obviously, there means the good news of God about the kingdom. Saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Now, we also know Jesus taught many other lessons in parables. And so, when it says in verse 12, they went out and preached that people should repent, this is the shorthand for saying they preached the same thing that John the Baptist preached, they preached the same thing that Jesus preached, and that was, in one word, repentance. If you were not with us when we studied this, repentance simply means it's a change of thinking that leads to a, a change in your living. Repentance, uh, uh, we often say, or the illustration often is, is, is that you're thinking or walking one way, one path. Repentance is literally to stop and to turn and to think differently to, and begin to walk differently. Now, we often equate a, a, a repentance with repentance for sin, and that is an absolutely parallel thought is that we recognize, one, the, the reality that Jesus is saying, I don't know how you're living, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm announcing the fact that you can enter the kingdom. I am offering eternal life. And Jesus is, says, stop what you're doing, listen, and I am offering eternal life right here, right now. And that's what, uh, that's what verses 14 and 15 get at. It says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Those words say, it's happening right now. So you, it's grabbing your attention. The offer is not, have you ever had an offer and you got really excited and you read, oh, it's like next month. Uh, I've had that happen. I, I, I have that happen sometimes during gardening season. Uh, the, the little catalog for Raver Aldi comes out. And I'm so excited. I'm like, oh, the plant stuff's on sale. I was like, ah. I get to, and I've had this happen. I arrived, I was so excited to buy everything, and I was like, oh, it's next week. Uh, and sometimes when we find out that the opportunity is not now, we kind of just like set it aside. The opportunity is now. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time. The kingdom is here. You can enter now. And so when Jesus' disciples preached repentance, all they were doing was preaching what they had heard from him. All they were doing was repeating his message. And so it was simple imitation. And I think this is one of the things that stops us. You know, all we're doing today, but we don't have to be innovative enough to reach Frankfurt. Frankfurt is not going to be reached because we were so creative and, and so amazing, and our worship, I, I want our worship to be powerful, and our worship was so amazing. God, 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is the main thing. This is what we have to offer. This is what we preach. And all we do is preach the same thing that Jesus himself preached. We don't have to try to do, well, we preach the gospel, but the only way to get people to come is bigger and better and more and more and more. The reality is, what we hold out, and this is what the disciples held out, we don't have to be innovative. We just have to imitate. There's a huge difference. We don't have to have this good, great plan that when we finally get to this, when, we, when our church finally grows enough that we can do these things, we'll finally get people to come in. We have what we need to grow right now. We've been given the gospel. We can share it with people. All we do is imitate. Now, the second thing that we see, and uh, so we imitate his words. The second thing in verse 13 says, They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. The second thing we do is we replicate. We, we imitate his words, and we replicate what he did. And that's all they did. If you want to know what Jesus' disciples did, what was it finally like to go out on mission? They imitated his words. They imitated his works. That's all he did. The very same things that they had seen Jesus do, as far as his having the authority to cast out demons, they did. And by the way, there is a clear difference in this in this passage uh, that we should separate. There, the, the authority to cast out demons is is one type of, of uh, sign of authority, and the ability to heal is another. It was two different things that they were talking about. Now. You could have people who are possessed and also need healing, but it says they drove out demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. If you're thinking about the oil, because Jesus, we never have any kind of reference to him healing with oil, the best guess that we have is that the oil is simply uh, a symbol of the presence and the power of God's grace. It was a visible way of putting the oil in the head. But if, if you have seen, and, I, and sometimes when you watch uh, television or you watch televangelists or if you watch people who have healing ministries, guys, the minute they pull out the oil and the minute they pull out the water that came right out of the Jordan or whatever, just run, right? The, the power is not in the oil. That I'm, I'm not disparaging. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if you've been tricked, get your money back, folks. Uh, here's the original piece of the Ten Commandments. Um, what I will say is, the oil isn't insignificant, right? When they would anoint kings, they would use oil as a symbol. Uh, James tells us in James 5.14 to use oil as a way of anointing the sick. Uh, what I will tell you is there are many times where we use visible ways of showing the, the spiritual realm, and this is a way of doing that. But the oil didn't heal. So when you read this, don't read it in, man, we got to find that healing oil. Uh, you know, that's why we're powerless. Find some of that stuff. We're going to blow up Frankfurt. Uh, we, we're going to start a healing ministry. The power is in Jesus' authority. And that's all he replicated. So they imitated his words. They imitated his works. And with his works, they cast out demons. They showed they had his authority. And then they healed the sick. And for the sick, they often want to anoint with oil. So don't get out these special oils to cast out demons. Guys, it's in Jesus Christ. It's praying in his name. It's trusting in his authority. But all the garbage, and I call it garbage, and I mean that well, intention. It's junk. It's junk. It's a, it's a cheap counterfeit. Don't get lost in all these other things that people are trying to sell you. Now, I want to close here this morning. We looked at imitation and replication. One thing we didn't read when we began was how this, this account ends. So 
let me read for you verses 30 and 31, because this is actually the end of the story. In between, we have the whole beheading of John the Baptist. The story ends this way. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done, all that had been taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place to get to me. This is the disciples' ministry pattern. This should be your ministry pattern. This should happen on a daily basis. This should happen on a weekly basis. So here is the simple pattern of how you live the Christian life. And here's how it starts. Here's how what I saw in the story. You spend time with Jesus. You go spend time in the harvest. You come back and you spend time with Jesus. It's as simple as that. You spend time with Jesus being equipped. He's investing in you. You can look at this as a daily thing. You can look at this as a weekly thing. You can look at it as a ministry pattern. You can look at this for how we should do, if we were going to do an event or do something that aims at specifically for sharing the gospel. Here's the pattern. We spend time understanding our calling. That's what Jesus did, right? He began the story, hey God, come up. Come together. I want to talk to you about your calling. I'm getting ready to send you out two by two. And I want to give you instructions. Don't take any provisions. Here's what's going to happen. Here's how I'm So Jesus, they spend time with Jesus. Then they go and they imitate what Jesus has showed them in ministry. So they go and do. And then what happens? How does the story end? They come back and they spend time with Jesus. And what I love is Jesus says, Basically, he says, hey, guys, I'm so busy here. We can't even get anything done. Everybody is, is, is let's come away. I want to spend time with you. How'd it go? If I were to put it in a phrase, this is the how did it go and how can we grow it discussion, right? Because that's what happens. You you spend time with Jesus. You go out and do ministry. And then if you're like me, you're like, ah, man, I wish I'd have done this. I wish I could have done that, right? And by the way, it's not our performance. We, we It's not like when we get it right, God uses it. But there are things that we see that we can grow. There's not a Sunday service that I don't look out and say, okay, how can we grow? And there shouldn't be a day in your life that you don't you don't spend time with Jesus, you walk out, you live it out, and then you come back and you just you take time talking to Jesus about your day. Like, God, I blew it. Godly I blew it. Man, I lost my temper. Or I missed a chance. Or I didn't serve. Or I had a hard heart. I, I went to my day without joy. I was so focused on tasks, I didn't even care about people. I don't know what it's like for you, but here's the pattern of the disciples. You spend time with Jesus. You go and you labor in the harvest and you come back and you spend time with Jesus and you debrief and you talk about it. And, and that's what Jesus wanted to do. He wanted to know how to go. I would love to have been a fly on the wall. I would have loved to know, like, I would have loved to have heard the, the victories and I would have loved to have heard the challenges. Like, man, we just got run out of that town. I barely kept my tunic. Uh, you know, Jesus, what do you do when somebody says this? Or there were some praises, right? There was like, God, you wouldn't believe. Like, there was a, this lady who probably had like the least amount of money, and this lady said, Come and let us let me host you. And I was, I was humble beyond belief. I felt bad eating her food because I know she couldn't even feed herself. There were those stories too. I think they came back and they praised God for what they saw, and I think they were humble and said, But here's where I'm still weak. Here's where I'm still struggling. And man, we just got totally intimidated by this town. I don't want to go back. You send somebody out. Jesus says, send two others out. And Jesus like, no. We're going we're to build you up. We're going to send you back out. That's life with Jesus. So here's how I want to end. 
So what do we see in this passage? We saw Jesus multiplying workers for his mission. And how did he do that? We walked through how he did that. But I wanted to just focus on Luke 6.40. Luke 6.40 says this. The student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. The reason Jesus called you to take you on an apprentice journey so that you come and be with him, so that you can learn from him, so that he can send you out, and you send you out and you come back and you debrief. How did it go? How can I grow? And you keep laboring in the fields and wanting to say, God, how can you use me? And it's a journey. So if any of you are sitting there intimidated, like, I don't even know how I can do that. Well, here's what I know. Everything I've learned in my life, I've learned first through learning, then second through experience. Most of us just don't have a lot of experience when it comes to walking out our faith with others. We have experience doing this, we have experience learning by ourselves, but we really struggle at the third aspect. And I would say, if that's your view, then let's go on a journey together, let's get out, let's pray, let's uh, invite Jesus to use us, and let's go and do, and let's come back and say, okay, how do we grow? How can we do it better? By God's grace. So here's my question for you. If Luke 640 makes clear that Jesus' intention of, of inviting you to be his student or his disciple is so that you become fully trained, where are you in the process of becoming fully trained? Where are you? This morning for you. Where are you in the process of being fully trained? Because what I saw in the scriptures was Jesus of how Jesus invited people in, how he invested in their lives, how he sends them out, and now he, he brings them back and says, hey, let's keep growing. Let's keep doing this. And I need you for the mission. God didn't call you to learn. He didn't call you to sit in Sundays. He called you to participate. Yeah, it's hard enough for me to say. Maybe it's just to draw attention to it. Participate in the mission. And so my question for you is, where are you at in the process of becoming fully trained? Be honest with yourself, and then have a conversation with us, your church family, and, and those that you're running with, saying, this is where I'm at, and this is where I need to grow. And let's do it together. Because that is Jesus' plan for reaching Christ. Knowing him, enjoying him, imitating him. Going and doing it, going back again saying, all right, here's where I messed up, here's where I saw amazing grace. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that in your good plan, God, you choose not to save everybody through angels. You choose not to to save everyone by literally writing salvation in the sky. You choose to carry out your mission in this world by inviting us to come and know you. Not giving us tasks. You invite us to come and know you, to learn from you, to love you, and as a result of knowing who you are, of taking what we've learned and sharing it with others. God, there is no greater calling than this. And I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to respond to you. Where are we at? I pray that every single person here today would walk away either wanting to know more about you, if they're not on a journey with you, that they would say, I, I want to know this Jesus. Because there's, there's nobody like him. There is no life apart from him. And if you know Jesus, then have an honest conversation. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, where am I at? apprenticing process. And God, by your grace, help me to grow with others. Help me to run with others. Help me to run two by two, or with three, or with four, so that I can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
greatest and Jesus mighty in saving day. 